Championship weekend is here. There's a lot of action, and Coach and I are going to get into a little bit of controversy on this Saturday edition of Iceman and Coach. Happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome back to a very rare weekend edition of Iceman and Coach. It's been a while since we've done an Iceman and Coach branded episode. And as we are moving toward the end of football season, I think it is time to consider going back to that old Iceman and Coach adage. What do you think, buddy? I'm here for it, man. It was fun to uh, to hear the intro song, to see the video again. It's It's been a while, so it was uh, refreshing and exciting. I agree, my man. And it's just nice to go back to something that was our bread and butter for the longest time. And so I have got the shades on today because it's actually bright in here. It's it's daytime. And even though back here you can't see that it's daytime, there is bright light coming in over here at the sunroof. And I'm just, I need something here because the lights are the brightest now as we're getting close to the Super Bowl. Well, you don't have to make any excuses to wear, uh, wear the coach primes at any point in time, but no, we are. We're getting close to the Super Bowl. Things are getting exciting. Um, I, I hate the fact that it's a two-week break between the you know championship weekend and the Super Bowl. I, do I too. get why. I get why and whatever. Money, but yeah, of course. And uh, but I'm not a fan of it. It's it's painful as a fan. But anyways, uh, yeah, we're here, man. A couple of big games this weekend. Big Bradley game uh, this afternoon. Once we wrap up, I'm excited for that. Uh, the Braves travel to. Uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, to take on the Indiana State Sycamores, who are currently in uh, solely in first place in the Missouri Valley Conference and ranked 25th as of the last time I checked last night or early this morning in the net rating, which is the primary uh, ranking that the NCAA uses for the tournament. So, uh, big game for the Braves. I it's an uphill battle for sure. I don't have like over the top expectations. It would it would be a huge win if they can get it. I just hope that they can compete and they don't get their doors blown their doors blown off. Um, so I can at least walk away feeling a little good about it. Now this is a potentially two bid conference because if Indiana State does not win the tournament, it's looking like it could be that they could get an at large bid. I think a lot of it depends on how all the other conferences shake out because the conference tournament time sometimes can knock out a team like Indiana State who doesn't have the kind of resume that some of these other power five schools might have but if indiana state were to make the tournament and not win or were to not win their conference tournament it is a outside chance that they could be in right yeah if let's say they run the table and they don't lose another game until the conference tournament title game i think that obviously the tournament winner gets in and i don't think that you can turn indiana state away at that point um their non-conference schedule is pretty solid uh you know they lost a close game to i believe it was alabama at alabama and then without their one of their better players too, and uh, they went to Michigan State and gave the Spartans everything they wanted. Uh, Michigan State pulled away late, like in the last five to eight minutes. But I mean, it was a ball game the whole way. So, I mean, they're really good now. They benefited tremendously from the transfer portal. They did the transfer portal better than anyone else in the conference did. And the dudes they brought in, uh, two or three dudes that 
have made a huge impact immediately and are in contention for, you know, conference player of the year. So it, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Like it's in the conference's best interest for, for them to slip up in the conference championship game and somebody else get in. Cause then you do, you get two. Yeah. It is always good when one of these mid-major conferences get two, but at the same time you end up having that tired argument of some bubble team in some other conference that they should get in because they played better teams or whatever. And I feel like college basketball is one of the only big time college sports where you can actually highlight the little guys because they get a chance. And I feel like they should get a chance. And you never know sometimes. I mean, look at what happens to these teams that make it in with auto bids. They're 14s, 15s, your St. Francis's. They get so far in the tournament. And you wouldn't be able to see that unless it was for these types of teams actually getting in more often than not. There obviously is a line. But I think clearly Indiana State is good, much like Wichita State was, what, like 10 years ago when they had their amazing run and they were number one seed like they would have gotten in regardless of whether they won their conference tournament yeah you're right and what's helped this year is nearly half the conference is in the top 100 of the net which is not has not been the case the last several years and and it's because for the first time in a long time the entire league performed really well in the non-conference and which that's that's really what sets you up for success when it comes to at-large hopes and, um, you know, they, like I said, in past years, it, it has not been great pretty much across the board. But this year, like the exception, like Valparaiso, who's, you know, rebuilding, everybody had a really good non-conference schedule. And so now these wins against each other way more in the ranking systems. And so, I mean, it's, you know, they've set themselves up for success. They just have to finish and we'll see how things go down the stretch. And I mean, I tell you, what, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to play in Indiana State in the in the tournament no matter how they get in i wouldn't want to play drake uh, i wouldn't want to play bradley uh, on certain days so uh, it's exciting man it's an exciting time of year you know we've got who knows man maybe we'll get lucky enough to see a uh, a valley team when we go to charlotte here in a couple months i was actually going to say that if indiana state wins out and wins the conference tournament maybe they could be a 10 seed and we have a chance of possibly seeing that because i think the games that we're going to see in Charlotte are 2-15 and 15 and 7-10 and 10 games. So yeah. we could possibly be lucky enough to see that. And that means upset central, which is what I'm always rooting for in those early days of the tournament because you just want to see those Cinderella teams make it. And then what ends up happening all the time is the cream rises to the top. It, it always happens because top to bottom, most of the time, the best teams have just more talent across the board. So... It's just the way that it works. Anyway, we have a guest coming, and we have something new, my man. Are you ready? Let's see it. That's right. Nostra James is here, the man of the hour. After his first 2-0 week picking games, I decided it was time to give the guy his own theme music and intro song. So, James, welcome to the studio, my man. How do you feel about both of your picks winning last week? Good. You do feel good, as you should. 
to recap for everybody, he had the Lions over the Bucks, which was a win, and he had the Chiefs over the Bills, which ended up being a win. And you know what? Honestly, you could have picked either of those permutations, and that would have been good picks. So he is here to pick two more games this week, because honestly, there's only two more games. Stop it. There's only two more games remaining, and are you ready to pick those, James? Okay, so what did we end up, what did we do today? What did we do <laughs> in middle America, or excuse me, in suburban America almost all the time? We went where today? Costco. That's right. We went to Costco. Hey, Daddy. Yes. Um, after I um do this, Mommy said I'm going to Wegmans with you. Oh, wow. Okay. We have a Wegmans trip. This is going to be a very white suburbia day for you, my man. So this is very exciting. All right, James, are you ready? There are two games happening this weekend. And so are you ready to make your final picks? Yes. Okay. Ravens. Ravens. Chiefs. Chiefs. Who is going to win? Chiefs. Okay. So he has chosen the Chiefs over the Ravens, which I'll be honest with you, is kind of a risky pick. But when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, you never know, as we saw in Buffalo this past weekend. All right. This one, I think I'm going to ask you in a different way. But are you ready? Yes. San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. Detroit. Detroit. Who's going to win? San Francisco. Okay, so he has chosen the 49ers over the Lions in an upset pick here because James is a very, very big Lions fan. So to recap, he has the Chiefs and the 49ers in the Super Bowl this year. And honestly, man, I don't know how you feel, but with this Final Four, there's no telling because I think all four teams are extremely talented and any permutation of teams that get into the Super Bowl would not surprise me. Yeah, I think anything could happen. That's my least favorite uh, combination. And not not because, not from a picking standpoint, but just it's the least intriguing to me, um, you know, because I want to see the Chiefs go down. And obviously, they get to the Super Bowl, they're even closer. And I'd much rather see them be taken out by the Lions as opposed to the 49ers. But there's plenty of narratives there to be excited about. It would be a great football game. And... uh no, I mean, just a lot of contrasting styles, which we can talk about later. But no, I think you can't go wrong. And those are two very, very good picks. Let's talk about this past weekend. Actually, let's talk about this coming weekend. And we can talk about this past weekend in doing so. So he mentioned Ravens Chiefs, and that's Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. That's pretty much what everybody's talking about. And as they rightfully should, the quarterbacks are the stars of the team. And honestly, the most important cogs of both of these teams, I would say. I don't think either one of these teams is going to... Love you, buddy, is going to be where they are without either of these quarterbacks. And what's interesting is I think this is probably the best Ravens team that Lamar Jackson has quarterbacked. You have Lamar with the best roster that he's ever had, I would say, and Patrick Mahomes with less best roster, whatever, the the least talented roster that he's had uh, to this point. Um, and so that's what's interesting is to see you know, who prevails in that situation. It's interesting, right? Because Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens just, they, they took out the Texans, no problem. I mean, it was close, but even at halftime, you felt like it wasn't that close. Like, if not for what, didn't they get a punt return? Was it the Texans got a punt return, I think? And that's what kind of got them in the game. But the defense of the Ravens just, just took out C.J. Stroud and, the second half really wasn't even close. I mean, you look at the final score and you probably wouldn't even know that the game was tied at some point. And 
the Chiefs go into Buffalo, and we're going to break down Josh Allen and the Bills in a minute, but the Chiefs go in, and Mahomes is like the coldest MFer in the entire league and just gets it done. His receivers haven't been catching anything all season long. All of a sudden, they can catch. And I feel like this is one of those games where Lamar Jackson, this could be his coming out party in terms of winning the big one, but people are kind of doubting them when this is the most talented roster that they've had. So I find the narratives kind of coming into this interesting because the Chiefs are getting the nod publicly because of all the winning that they've done. But I'm tell you what, this Ravens team defensively has pretty much beaten up all of the really good teams in the league. The only one they haven't played this year for the most part is the Chiefs, and we're going to find out. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the reason that public perception is what it is at this point is because Lamar has yet to to win that big game with the Ravens and get over the hump. So um, I, I think once that happens, maybe that starts to change a little bit. But, you know, sort of, I mean, definitely different styles, but I feel like him and Josh Allen are sort of in the same camp as far as really good, play on good teams, and just have, they're just coming up short year after year. And when when you watch them throughout the season, all indications are that they're going to have their teams in position uh, to compete for a championship. And that's usually the case. And then somewhere along the line, they just, they, they just don't get it done. And it's not, you can't say that it solely falls on them. I mean, football is a team game, but it's, it's very easy. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, the quarterbacks, they are the face of the team. And so it's easy to point the finger a little bit. And um, on the other at, on the other end, though, with the Chiefs, like I said, you know, he's definitely had Mahomes definitely has the the least talented roster he's had to this point, I think, and has found a way to win games. You know, and credit to him and Andy Reid and what they've been able to do, and and they've battled some adversity. They had a really rough stretch there, uh, kind of that last third of the season, really, and for them to be, I'm shocked. I would not have expected them. To, which is silly to say, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, but I did not expect them to be in this position at all. No. And But now that they're here, it's really hard to bet against them. I'm just – I feel like – I think I texted you this as we're watching the game against Buffalo, and I said, Jerry Jones should take notice because Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are playing up to their competition in probably the most challenging environment that they've played in in the playoffs – and the team responds, wholeheartedly responds. And I said, this is a reflection of Andy Reid as a head coach. and it, Because I think that that is very true. I mean, you look at Andy Reid on the sideline, and he wasn't worried at all. Like, whether Buffalo, like, Buffalo got tons of momentum when they scored at the end of the half. But when you looked at the first half, and as the game started to go along, the dif- the defense of Buffalo never really stopped or had any answers for the Chiefs' offense. And the Chiefs' offense had never looked that good the entirety of the season, efficient and just moving the ball down the field so effortlessly. Like, at one point, I think they showed the stat that the only time they'd been stopped was when they knelt down at the end of the half because there was, what, 15 seconds left? But pretty much right down the field. And so this is kind of one of those battles of attrition here. Like, what is going to give? Because the Ravens' defense, they do a lot of scheming that is so different from the way a lot of the other defenses do it in the league showing a lot of blitz, pulling off and playing zone. And these things are not confusing to Mahomes, but they play very fast and very physical, which usually that doesn't go hand in hand. Playing, You either play physical 
or you play fast. A lot of times it's not both. And so can the Chiefs do that against a defense that is, in my opinion, vastly superior to what Buffalo put out on the on the field the other night? And can they stop Lamar Jackson? Because the Texans were not able to stop him. They were letting him into the secondary, into the open field. And it's a recipe for disaster when you play the Ravens. So I, I'm actually intrigued by this because this feels like a game that could go either way. And it's like they could go tit for tat the whole game. And it'll be a close one, I feel like. Well, and part of that, when we're talking about the Texans, you know, we're talking about a rookie head coach um, being put in that position. Now, you know, compared to Andy Reid, I mean, Andy Reid has coached against, you know, some of the best that have ever played the game, you know, and, and, and especially when we talk about running quarterbacks, you know, he's coached against Michael Vick and, um, you know, some of those other guys. That's a good point. Uh, that would fit that mold, you know. So, like, I definitely think he's got um, he's got some tools in his toolbox to be able to, at least on paper, schematically, um, contain. You're never going to stop the Lamar Jackson, but if you can contain him and just not let him single-handedly beat you, um, you're going to have a chance and you're going to have to keep them off the board because their defense is so good. Like you can't count on being able to score 35 points. Um, you know, so you're you're going to have to limit the damage that he does. And like I said, I'm sure that Andy's, he is, uh, he's got, a, he's got a few tricks up the sleeve. And the thing is, I, I'm at this point with Patrick Mahomes now where I think he is 100% in the conversation for most talented quarterback to ever play. And he's getting the wins, too. Like, I always said that about Aaron Rodgers. Like, when you compared Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady, I think talent-wise, Aaron Rodgers was a better quarterback in terms of playing the actual position, making throws. But when it came to winning, Tom Brady was the better winner. Mahomes seems to embody all of that because it seems like no matter what you do to this guy, no matter how down you think that they are, he makes these plays and just continues to rise to the occasion every time. And that's something so far that Lamar Jackson has not been able to do in his very talented career thus far. And this is that moment. But I do want to ask you something because there's a lot of chatter around the interwebs about this, and I find it hilarious. Is it possible that the NFL really wants the Chiefs to make it this time because of the Taylor Swift effect? Because I think there is something real there, even though I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. Oh, I mean, it certainly wouldn't hurt. I, I, I'm guessing that if you got some NFL executives in a room and, and forced them to tell you, uh, if you said, hey, like, if you can guarantee that one of these four teams is in the Super Bowl, who would you pick? Uh, from a revenue and eyeball standpoint, you're going to pick the Chiefs. It just makes sense. But at the same time, a game like the Super Bowl, I mean, how much how much bigger can you make the Super Bowl? You know, how much more appealing can you make? The Super Bowl is already the most watched program that there is, you know, so it's like, I don't know how, I don't know that it's going to move the needle that much. I mean, I definitely think it does, but I don't know how significant it could even possibly be, if that makes sense, just because of how high profile it already is just, and not just as football fans, but just as it's just a, it's a cultural thing for us here. Right. It is. But I think, I, I wonder if the Taylor Swift effect has piqued the interest of a larger female demographic and with the Super Bowl, if they're females that maybe wouldn't have watched the Super Bowl before, now you add Taylor Swift to the mix. I, I agree that it's a big event already and a lot of people consume it by going to parties and it's sort of a, I don't want to say a family thing, but there's parties that happen now with the Super Bowl, no matter whether you like football or not. But man, add Taylor Swift to the mix. 
and and just her in the box. Supposedly she's on a Tokyo tour then, so it's like unlikely she wouldn't go. But I still believe that she would go because I think the NFL would do whatever they could, pull whatever strings that they could to try to get her at this game. I mean, this is right now probably their most popular product in Travis Kelsey and her relationship. I mean, if you really think about it, that's probably moving the needle the most in the NFL. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if we get it to late in the third quarter and the Chiefs are all of a sudden getting some calls, it's going to be fascinating. And I'm going to be all over social media seeing what people are chirping about because it's going it's fun. That that to me is fun. It's kind of like what you said with the Arch Manning thing. Like Texas fans are like, we weren't calling for Arch Manning. And you're just like, really? Then what's all this? So the conspiracy theorists are going to be out and the Chiefs fans are going to be insufferable. Yeah, absolutely. I heard that, uh, I don't know, someone who knows someone who knows someone, right? A source close to a source, close to the situation, says that she, if the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, that she plans on being at the Super Bowl. I to, I, I'm telling so, you, like, that yeah. is totally going to happen. My my wife doesn't agree, and a couple other people that I know don't agree because they're like, she'd never let her fans down. And I'm like, she can go back. She can tour. You can't go to the Super Bowl more than once. It, it only happens once a year. I'm telling you that if they make it, she's going to be at that game because she's she's not dumb either. She's very smart, and that right. makes her money too. So there's a lot of exposure, a lot of clicks, and a lot of money to be had by her being physically at the Super Bowl. So I think it's, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything. I do find it fascinating because the league worries about longevity and making money, and Taylor Swift has represented an avenue to getting a different demographic to the product. And no matter what, what no matter what business, they're always going to try to find a way to continue to sustain or make more of what they've already made in terms of money. That's just what they're going to do, man. Like they're a business. Oh, absolutely. Now has you mentioned late in the third quarter, controversial calls. Has there been a team the last couple of years that's been more under the microscope or scrutinized in that way uh, than more so than the chiefs? Cause I feel like there have been a lot of those types of situations um, surrounding the chiefs and, and more so than I ever felt up with any other team that was like at the top of the mountain, like the Patriots for the long, the longest time, you know, when they were there, I mean, people didn't like them, but I don't, there was never this narrative that the officials were out to get them. I mean, or the officials were out to assist them in some way, shape or form. I mean, if anything, it felt at times like the NFL was actively against them. uh, Sometimes from time to time. And there were some self-inflicted wounds there, obviously, but, the Chiefs, okay, so the difference for me about the Chiefs and the calls that they have received has been the timing of when they have received them because I always agree or feel that calls throughout the entirety of the game dictate where you are once you get to the end of the game because a lot of people focus on the end of the game, but a holding call early in the first quarter could stall a drive that could have actually resulted in points. Like, it could change the entire complexion of the game. So I don't feel like it's always what happens at the end. But the Chiefs have very much benefited from beneficial penalties. I'm not saying incorrect penalties, but beneficial penalties at the exact right moment that they need them. The Super Bowl, last play. AFC Championship game last year, last play. It just feels like when the Chiefs have their backs against the wall, a call seems to happen. And again, I'm not saying a call is made from the NFL like, hey, call a penalty here, because you and I have discussed all of those penalties. They've been penalties, right? But the Kadarius Tony one was one that actually went not in their favor this time. 
And but it was a penalty. As ticky tack as it was, it was a penalty. So we've not disagreed on the fact that they're penalties, but it's like it's inconsistent with how the game had been called up until that point. It is fascinating to me. And this is a very polarizing team in such a weird and I don't I don't know why they're polarizing. Like the Patriots were polarizing for obvious reasons, but this team, like, is so they're they're unlikable, but yet you can't really say like why, because Patrick Mahomes is a very likable guy. He is. Well, the reason they are disliked is because they're the best. I know. Um, you know, they're the top dog right now, and that's just it, it isn't funny how quickly you can go from being like the darling uh always to the devil, you know, like overnight. And because I remember when when they first get when they got to their first Super Bowl with Mahomes, it's like everybody was behind the Chiefs and wanted to see the Chiefs win. And now that they've been there a couple of times, you know, I think just as as a sports society, we're all like, okay, you've had your time. Time for you to move on and let, let somebody else have a crack at it. It ain't a sports society thing. It's a society thing. True. We as human beings, especially in this country, do not like it when somebody or some entity becomes too successful. And that it has a lot to do with like you see somebody who makes more money than you, no matter how they got it, whether they worked their ass off to get it, you hate it because they have more than you. When you go on a personal journey, lose weight, do something, there's haters because you have been more successful or there's some element of yourself that they can't control, right? Or something like that. And this is the same thing. The Patriots, the first time they won a Super Bowl, great story, right? We're all Patriots, 9-11, everything's great. As soon as they win two more, that's it. You're done. And you really can't win more. And you can't get the stink of that off of you either. People, unless you're from Pittsburgh, like there's P Pittsburgh fans, like a lot of people don't like Pittsburgh. Nobody likes New England, the Cowboys, Notre Dame, you name Alabama, you name them, right? All the uber successful franchises, teams, whatever, eventually they become hated. And it's the only way that you go back to not caring about them is when they start to lose. But some of them sustain winning all the time. And I know I, I, it's just it's just a thing. We can't handle it when somebody else is happy, basically. That's absolutely true. Um, because, let's say that the Lions, if the Lions win the Super Bowl this year, I guarantee you. Like if they they'll get next year if they're back in it next year back in the mix say win the Super Bowl again or get to the Super Bowl I mean they got like a, a three year window I would say to be still the darlings and after that if they continue to have this kind of success everybody's going to turn on them just the way they turn on the Chiefs um, just the way they turn on everyone else uh, and I mean the Cowboys that's why if people say you know America's team but. Not there anymore. are just as many, not anymore, but I'm saying like there are just as many people that hate the Cowboys because of how good they were in the early 90s. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's fascinating. You know, I'd be interested to hear some, you know, uh, a psychologist or something like break that down, like why that is. And it could be as simple as we don't like seeing other people. We like to see other people get something, but then like we don't want them to stay there or whatever. Right. But you, you see know. this all the time. You see it in people who didn't get something. So I'll use this as a, it's a political thing, but I don't see it as political, like student loans, right? I had to pay all my student loans, no problem. And other people are going to get them forgave, forgiven. And while that upsets me in a way, because I'm like, damn, I paid my student loans off. Like, I wish I could have some of that money back. I don't care if they get it because it, these things happen all the time. Family, medical leave, uh, so many women, 
did not get any time off when they had kids. And now in the federal government, you get 12 weeks of paid leave. And it took what, 100 and something years of like, you know, to get this done. So a lot of women were jealous. But then there was a lot of women who were like, I'm glad that people got something that I didn't get. But for the most part, we generally tend to hate it when somebody else has something that we don't. But then again, man, that's how the economy works because these these promotions, like boxing promotions, these leagues, they bank on people watching to watch somebody else lose. Do you know how much money Floyd Mayweather made because people tuned in on pay-per-view to watch him lose, which he never did? And that sells. So they're, they're trafficking in it heavily, and I think that's just it's a symptom of being human. I, I don't know. I mean— I can't say that I'm immune to it. I'm sure there are times when I'm like, God, I hate that person. I mean, all the other podcasts that follow us in the sports realm probably feel that way about us. You know, when we <laughs> when when we see our 14 downloads a, an episode and they're like, God, I wish I could get up to those numbers. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I from a uh, polarizing standpoint, I think that the most interesting Super Bowl matchup would be the Lions and the Chiefs because you would have that perfect overlap of you know the america's darlings and the lions and the the villain and the chiefs and so you you get to compound your your affection and your hatred all in one um in a game like that and you you know and those types of matchups draw in the casuals you get more than just the you know like if it's a ravens 49er super bowl i think that yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's not, you're not going to get a very polarizing reaction from the country as a whole. You know, I, I think most people would be indifferent outside of those particular fan bases. But I think you get the Chiefs in, you're going to have some, uh, a significant national interest against them probably. And if the Lions get in, you'll have a significant nationwide support for them. So uh, that, that's why I think those two teams would be, it'd be a home run for the NFL. My yes, opinion. I agree. So in order for us to get that, the Lions would have to beat the 49ers, which is the other game happening tomorrow. So this one I called grit versus glam because that's kind of what it feels like. You've got Dan Campbell, bite your kneecaps off, and you've got Kyle Shanahan who does things in the most glamorous way in terms of the offense and the way everything works for them. But it's interesting because this is a battle of game managers, as Cam Newton would say. So on one side in the AFC, you've got these two dynamic quarterbacks who lead their offenses. On the other side, a lot of people feel like Brock Purdy and Jared Goff are game managers. But both of these guys had outstanding seasons this year, and the offenses look to them to lead them. So I think it's interesting how different all of the NFC is when the NFC, I think, historically— probably is more, I don't know, more toward the 49ers. You think about the West Coast offense and all of those glamorous teams that were chucking the ball up, and now you've got Dan Campbell and his boys coming in, and they're they're out for blood, man. And you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. The way that the 49ers played without Debo Samuel, if he does not play, I think the, the Lions have a real legitimate shot of punching the 49ers in the mouth because the Packers almost did. <laughs> for sure. I mean, and I kind of was thinking about this last night. I'm like, you know, it's kind of like the engineer versus the mechanic, you know, and uh, from a coaching matchup perspective. And that's probably not giving Dan Campbell the credit he deserves, but I think it was just an interesting analogy, you know, kind of blue collar versus white collar, all those other terms you could throw out there that would that would fit that uh, narrative. And it, 
I think everyone has been waiting for the Lions to finally, you know, for their flame to burn out. And uh, I, I, th- you're going to have to, I just like you're going to have to kill them, right? To make them go away. I mean, they're just, they're, they are, they're so gritty. And we throw that word around here kind of, you know, tongue in cheek a lot, but like they are the embodiment of just toughness. And I think that you're going to have to just, they're going to have to become incapacitated uh, for, for you to find a way to beat them. And, and I don't know if, a team like the 49ers. I mean, obviously they're highly, they're very talented, well coached, but so are the Lions. And, but I don't know if the, I don't know if the 49ers mentally are willing to do the things that the Lions are willing to do to win this football game. Uh, And I, I can't like define that for you necessarily beyond that, but it's, you know, you know what I mean? There's some people out there, like there's a guy, Here's a guy that was a wrestling coach. I know he had, he has a background like in the MMA. He had a uh a you know a brief moment in the UFC, but he he's gotten he's an older guy now, and he's a weird dude, but he's tough as nails. And I've always said like if you were ever gonna fight him in like a fist fight, you would have to kill him because he would never quit, like ever. And I think that that's how I feel about the Lions. Like they're they're not going to quit. They're not gonna back down. And uh, I, I'm again fully on the bandwagon. If ever there were a difference in teams, I think you see it here. And the thing about the Lions that I think is not only endearing right now, but I think makes them even more dangerous, is how much they are playing for their coach and playing for each other. I'm not saying the 49ers aren't playing for Kyle Shanahan, but Dan Campbell to me seems like the kind of guy that you'd go out and have a beer with. I don't get that sense about Kyle Shanahan. I get the sense that you go wine tasting with him, which is a lot more boring than going out to the local pub. But Dan Campbell also was on the 0-16 team, and that means something. By the way, did you see the stat that the Lions have had an 0-16 team and made the conference championship in this century, and the Cowboys haven't done the haven't gone to the conference championship this century, which is just fantastic. <laughs> I love how all the stats are just like sticking it to the Cowboys. Did you see a lot <laughs> that are like that? But Dan Campbell being on that 0-16 team, I saw I read an article today that that 0-16 team is sort of emotionally attached to this Lions team because of Dan Campbell. So he's not just like, what he does in his public persona is not he's not playing a role. That's who he is, and that authenticity is palpable and it's magnetic. And I think the players are playing for him in a way that is different than Kyle Shanahan. I think that the 49ers are so talented that they are here because of the fact that they are so talented. And this Lions team has had to build the last three years under Dan Campbell to get here. Both of their games were dogfights, so they're ready. And it's exactly like you said. They're not going to back down. They're not going to be afraid. The home field advantage is not going to matter. Dan Campbell's going to have them ready to go. And that mentality of just always going into deep water and never being able to fully take them out, I think sometimes teams like the 49ers, who are much more finesse, have a hard time dealing with that when the chips are really down. So if the Lions are in this game in the fourth quarter, it's going to be moxie time for the 49ers. And I'm going to say this because I think it's true. Kyle Shanahan has not really performed well in the biggest of games. If you look at his entire coaching career, that loss to the Patriots, 
losing in conference championship games. And that stat from last week that you were just, you and I were blown away with. Now, after winning that game against the Packers, he's 1-30 all time when his team is down by seven or more points in the fourth quarter, something like that. And it's like, that's shocking because for a guy that everybody labels a genius, not a lot of winning when the chips are down, in my opinion. You're right. And I mean, some of it obviously is his pedigree. Um, you know, his dad obviously being a Super Bowl winning coach and he's coached on a lot of good coaching staffs under other great coaches. And he's had success as a head coach, just not and even as a coordinator, but hasn't been able to get over the hump and win the big game. I don't know if now if they lose this one, then I think that you can really slap that label on him for sure at that point in time because, you know, you're at home. You know, you, you have the better roster, even without Debo Samuel. I mean, you, you a lot of, you know, a lot of the boxes are checked in your favor going into this football game. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to get the best shot from the Lions. But I think that if things don't go their way, you can absolutely start to, you know, that narrative is going to get louder and louder. Um, it will be it will be interesting though because you know was it Santa Clara that's where the stadium is right yes if I'm not mistaken and like Santa Clara California does not scream home field advantage to me you know no. when you think of some of these stadiums we've seen games at Arrowhead you know Bills Mafia in Buffalo Detroit and Santa Clara <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. it just it doesn't fit with the others and so like you said there really isn't going to be much of a home field advantage there either but. Yeah, I don't like what is what's Kyle Shanahan's future look like if this doesn't go well? I mean, his job's not on the line by any means, no. but, um, you know, is does this really start to define him if things don't go in their favor? But remember, when we talked about McCarthy and we talked about Sirianni, you made the point a couple of times about is there something that this person is bringing to the table that's not getting it done? And if Shanahan gets to the conference title game again and doesn't make the Super Bowl again, it is 100% fair, in my opinion, to throw that label on him and ask the question of, can this guy get it done in the biggest of games? We did it to Lamar Jackson. We we did. Fairly, fairly or unfairly, we did it to Lamar Jackson and said, oh, we can't win the big one. Peyton Manning couldn't win the big one. Name any guy over the course of time who's come in with a lot of hype and not been able to get it done in the biggest of games for a while. Shanahan has some stinkers on his resume. And yes, I think he did bring them to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G once, right? Was that in 2020? Was he the coach then? Or was that that? I'm not sure. I can't remember now. That was Shanahan. Was it Shanahan? So I'm just saying, like, have they, the question of have they peaked with Kyle Shanahan is valid. But I think also the upside that he brings is too hard to ignore. Like, if you were going to look at both of these guys and say, which one would you keep with, cap 12 win seasons Mike or Mike McCarthy or Kyle Shanahan like 100% of the people are keeping Shanahan right because of all the dynamicness that he's bringing so I'm not saying he should get fired I'm not saying they're gonna think about it but the legacy question comes into play because it's only fair well McCarthy has a much longer track record of just Mid. being slightly above average, you know. <laughs> uh, Mid, just say it, damn it. Yeah. Well, I want to give him more credit than no. that because the guy's won a lot of football games. But it's because of Rogers. Yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah, it will be. It will be interesting. Now, here's a question for you. Yes. If the 49ers happen to win the Super Bowl, does that does that 
diminish the value or start to diminish the value of quarterbacks, of these big-time quarterbacks? Does that prove that you don't need a top-10 quarterback to win the Super Bowl? It, it mean, In my opinion, it means one of two things. It either means that, that you don't need a top-10 quarterback to win the Super Bowl, or that everyone in America missed on Brock Purdy completely. So I think it's somewhere in the middle because look at the quarterbacks remaining in this draft, or excuse me, in this field. Jared Goff, first-round pick. Patrick Mahomes, first-round pick. Lamar Jackson, first-round pick. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. So it's not as if first-round guys don't make it. I think that what it shows is that, number one, quarterback evaluation is as flawed as it's ever been because it's hard to do this, and there's really no there's no way of knowing. I mean, this week alone, Colin Cowherd has been raked over the coals for his rant about Lamar Jackson not being a quarterback in this league. Obviously, that was wrong, and so we don't really know. But think about all the guys that have been picked in the first round that haven't panned out. It's never been an exact science. I also think that it means that you can have a quarterback that other people don't see as as talented, but also put a crap ton of talent around them, and that'll win you some football games. A lot of it comes down to, do you have the right guy with the right players? If Brock Purdy was on any other crappy team, right? If Brock Purdy was a bear, the bears probably would be as bad, if not worse than what they are, because they don't have anybody else. So would he be able to elevate them? Not sure. Would he have been... Would what would the Patriots have looked like if Brock Purdy was their quarterback and not Mac Jones? They probably would have won more than four games, but how many more? Because name a Patriots receiver. I'll wait. So, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, that's why I think it's not definitive, but I think the only thing that it is definitive about it is that quarterback evaluation is just flawed, and we have to accept it. It's a crapshoot when you pick a quarterback in the first-round period. How many how many starting quarterbacks and, and I don't mean like who finished the year starting I mean like actual like considered the franchise quarterback that aren't first round draft picks Dak Prescott was a third rounder I think because he was drafted again in a in a weird situation where didn't have to start right away because they had Tony Romo uh, Russell Wilson was a late round pick he or he wasn't a first round pick at all um, trying to think of other quarterbacks in the league I mean that's you know, if you yeah, think about like Mason Rudolphs and stuff like that, I mean, those guys, it doesn't really matter. But I mean, you got Herbert, obviously, was a first round pick. I mean, Jimmy G was a second round pick when he was starting. So a vast majority of guys, I think, are more in the first round realm. But there are guys that you have or we have missed on that have worked themselves up. Sure. And Russell Wilson kind of came out of nowhere, small. Nobody thought he could play and just ripped the Seahawks job away from Matt Flynn. Remember him? Matt Flynn, who got a big yeah. contract for two games at the end of the season and couldn't even win his starting job because that's how good Russell Wilson was and actually how bad Russell Wilson wanted it, if I'm being fair. I had a Matt Flynn Seahawks jersey. All and right. the, re the reason for that is I was in a bowling league with some buddies, and it was an NFL-themed league, and you had to pick a franchise that was going to be a team that would be your team. And there could only be one of each team. And I think that we settled on the Seahawks because every other team that one of us was a fan of was taken. And uh, so you had to select what jersey. I'm like, who's their quarterback? And 
I was like, oh, and I was like, Matt Flynn. And one of my buddies like, no, Russell Wilson's going to be the starter there. And I was like, whatever, like, Matt, you know. So, yeah, I had a Matt Flynn Seahawks jersey. That was like my, my one uh, Matt Flynn connection. Well, Russell Wilson's fascinating because he was one of the first quarterbacks to do what is is happening, is commonplace now. Remember, he went from, where did he play before he was at NC State? He played at NC State for a year before he actually got drafted. Well, no, he went from NC State to Wisconsin. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, yeah, he was at NC State, then he went to Wisconsin. So, either way it happened, he went and played like one season, did the Jalen Hurts thing, which wasn't very common 10 years ago. I mean, this was still, what, 2012, something like that, or 2011? So, this is a a long ways away from what we know now as the transfer portal where you got a guy like Bo Nix who can go play five years at, at Auburn and start for five years at Auburn and then start for two years at Oregon. Doesn't ha- It didn't happen that way. So fascinating. But I think you have missed an opportunity to wear a Matt Flynn jersey as often as you possibly can to show your ignorance as the podcasting host that you are. <laughs> That's right. I don't I it's gone now. I have no. It might oh. be at my my mom and stepdad's house somewhere. Possibly. Put it in your background when you build your podcast studio. Just put the Matt Flynn jersey right up here because he represents getting paid for doing basically nothing, which is kind of what we're hoping for. Yeah, I'll put my Matt Flynn jersey up next to my my old high school jersey that Excellent. I have, and it could just be two two great athletes that underperformed and are now irrelevant. Yes, but guess what? You played. So according to a lot of these people out there who are criticizing. Uh, a lot of these female pundits, they they didn't play. You played. You know more because you played. Damn it! That doesn't mean anything, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, because right, Belichick like didn't really play at a high level, right? I mean, there's a lot of great coaches that didn't play at a super high level and whatever. But yeah, it's a lot of that stuff so ignorant. It's very ignorant. But I just feel like Dan Campbell and the Lions are a team of destiny. But I've been wrong about that before. And I think America is rooting for Detroit, no doubt. But boy, wouldn't it be funny if we had a Lions Chief Super Bowl? You could have Eminem in the booth. You could have Taylor Swift in the booth. And the prop bets would be amazing how many times they show it. I, if if the Chiefs actually do win this game and Taylor Swift is at the Super Bowl, I may be placing some prop bets because there's going to be some real good ones about how often they show Taylor Swift, how often her name is is said. It's It's going to be a lot of fun. Wouldn't it be great if they could do away with whatever the halftime show is supposed to be? And like the halftime show could be a musical battle between Eminem and Taylor Swift, like a back and forth. Uh, I was going to say rap battle, but I mean, Taylor Swift, obviously not a rapper, although I bet you she could I bet freestyle you she could. if she had to. Um, how cool would that be, though? If Super Bowls, they got two like musical performers who were from those cities to perform, you know? in a combo and a you know i mean there's a lot of planning that goes into these things so that would never happen <laughs> yes but it would be uh i think that'd be really interesting here's the thing about the halftime show this year and my wife and i've talked about it because i found the the choice to be very fascinating now was it a couple years ago when they were in la at the at sofi they had snoop dogg dr dre right a lot of a lot of rappers from that particular area and that's kind of where a lot of what current rap is sort of based off of is that that late 80s early 90s rap i mean obviously eminem wasn't a part of that but his connection to, to dre is is our is well known but like usher when they announced it i was like well that's interesting because rihanna i think still is relevant in terms of music like she's still making music but like usher to me feels like a 
an artist that was chosen with a very, very small demographic in mind because our buddy Cleve has been to an Usher show and has told me who it's not for. And you can guess that it was not for him because he was like, why am I here? I'm not even sure why I'm he was showing solidarity to his wife and realized he'd made a huge mistake. And so Usher to me was like, huh? And I'm thinking if Taylor Swift was able to do it, they would totally tell Usher to take a hike and have Taylor Swift be the halftime show. Like there's no doubt in my mind that that would happen. Oh, 100%. And it's also interesting that they tend to go with performers who are past their prime. You know what I'm saying? Like, now, yeah. most of them have been still legendary. Prince, Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones, like uh, Janet Jackson, whatever. But I'm saying, like, a lot of them, you know, know, are still legendary musical acts and musical artists, but... It's it's just funny because it seems like it's always on the downslide of their careers, on the back end that they get. It's never, I shouldn't say never, because The Weeknd did it a couple years ago, right? And like he yes. was kind of very popular at the yep. time. Uh, but more often than not, it's usually someone kind of from the past, or at least it seemed like that's how it used to be. But Usher, again, kind of from the past a little bit. Yes, and I guess they're looking, they, they, I have to assume, and I didn't think we'd talk about this today, but I would have to assume that they are looking at the demographics of people who watch their product. And right now, the people who watch their product seem to be predominantly in our age bracket or maybe a little bit older. And Usher speaks to, I mean, he was big when I was in high school and that was 20 years ago. So it's very possible that the numbers show that and that's what they're banking on, except for the fact that this is watched by billions of people around the world. And I don't see Usher as an international star anymore i think rihanna fits that bill a lot more than usher does because i think she has an international appeal especially with social media but usher just didn't speak to me in that way so i thought this was a very uh, a curious pick but i'm also assuming that usher is not going to do what rihanna did last year and do a solo show and he's going to have like a bunch of people on there so it'll probably work itself out i never care about the halftime show anyway so it, it definitely ain't for me but I just thought, I mean, it's probably for your dad. I'm sure your dad's a big Usher fan. And, um, you know, so he, he can probably tell let us you more. know who Usher is. You'd be like, which Usher? <laughs> the one that like... gets me my seats at the Bradley game? <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to somebody else who isn't past their prime, but definitely can ask some questions. So I want to talk about Josh Allen for a minute. Oh, oh boy. Okay, so... So Josh Allen, to me, is is a quarterback that has been given the benefit of the doubt for a lot of season, the last couple of seasons. And much like Lamar Jackson, has not been able to get it done in the biggest spots. Not solely his fault, but I'm saying the Buffalo Bills not been able to get it done in the biggest spots. And coming out of this weekend, when, in my opinion, the Chiefs outplayed the Bills for especially the second half, the narrative was like, well, Josh Allen is close, but but not really. And then nobody was talking about how Mahomes just stone cold came in there and won that football game because a couple of things happened that would have made that field goal at the end non-existent. And I'm talking about the fake punt that they had, and they got extremely lucky that the dumbest rule in the rule book came into play, the fumble out of the end zone, causing a touchback. And the, the Bills got the ball back because of, of that. They really should have probably lost that game by 10. But... Stefan Diggs doesn't make a catch on a beautiful throw. And then Josh Allen misses 
three receivers running completely free at the end of the game. And this is the third year in a row now that the Bills have lost in horrific fashion to the Kansas City Chiefs or a team of that ilk. And are we at the point now where we can start questioning Josh Allen in these big-time games because he keeps getting the benefit of the doubt and keeps coming up short? Feels a lot like Colts Patriots from the early 2000s, doesn't it? Like, just the Colts could never, they, they could never get by the Patriots. And I remember that one, the, the year they ended up winning the Super Bowl, when they finally, they finally had home field advantage and they got the Patriots in the RCA Dome, it was at the time, and got that win. And that was a great game. But, uh, man, that was such a relief. It was like, finally, like, I mean, that almost felt, that was the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And to get over that hump, you know. Oh, for sure. But yeah, so this was this was that, right? This was that for the Bills and Josh Allen. Okay, you've got the Chiefs at home now. Here's your chance. This is the moment, right? Like this was and, it. And he they failed. He failed. Epically. And yeah, those those misses he had late were painful to watch. Very. And the there I mean, okay, so the Diggs one, when you watch it over again on Diggs. The rest of them though, not the receiver's fault and this this comes down to how they've built this team and the fact that without unless you got Diggs who's not a number one anymore, a lot of I mean Gabe Davis it wasn't there and they had like nothing else. Josh Allen, to be fair, Josh Allen pretty much performed as well as he could outside of late in the fourth quarter. But I just think it's amazing how he's getting the benefit of the doubt when why? Like we don't give the benefit of the doubt to other guys. Peyton Manning didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Why the hell do we assume that Josh Allen is just going to figure it out and win this game? This year, this game was the moment for them. Everything was in their favor, and they couldn't get it done. So what tells you that they're going to get it done next year or the year after? And there, there's a lot of questions in Buffalo, and I'm, I was mad because, damn it, that franchise and that fan base deserved to win that football game on Sunday, and they didn't, and it sucks. They deserve it so bad, and then the fashion in which they lost, or you know, did you know the fashion in which they missed overtime, you know, with the wide right. I'm like, you've oh got to be kidding me! I guess it's just it, like, just put them out of their misery at this point. I mean, it, it, it. I was just like, I was genuinely like heartbroken for the Bills fans in that situation. Oh yeah, and and I mean, oh, ghosts of Scott Norwood, and how how many young fans even knew Scott Norwood existed. This is their wide right. Yeah, yeah, this is it, man. This is definitely it. And and the thing is, is that was just to tie the damn thing, right? Like, it wasn't even like, a, you know, that was just to have a chance to win it. Um, And, yeah, so many things, though, led up to that moment, like you said, with the, some of the misses, the fake punt. And it's like, I understand 10 guys, let's take our shot at it here. But Fake fake punts, fake field goals, all those things are always uh, viewed in hindsight every time. You know, if they're successful, it was the best idea ever. If it fails, then it was the worst idea ever. Um, and, you know, so, you know, they had that and whatnot. But do feel terrible for the Bills fans. Uh, Jason Kelsey did steal the show a little bit, which I found uh, highly entertaining. Yes. Um, that he had such a good time. And I saw an interview with his wife where she said that, like, his intention, like, he wanted to just immerse himself in the Bills Mafia tailgating scene and, and the whole nine yards. And that 
uh, one of the top thing on his list as he wanted to go through a table. Uh, and I guess that that never happened uh, much to his disappointment. But uh, it looks like he still had a good time. Well, he's retired now, so he can go to some Bills games next year and and make it happen. But yes, I agree that the Jason Kelsey thing was funny because I think he was talking with Travis and his wife said, be on your best behavior. You're going to meet Taylor. And he's like, what are you talking about? The first time I met you, I was blackout drunk, passed out at the bar. This is my best behavior. And I agree that probably is his best behavior. For sure. No doubt about it. I love that. I mean, I, I could, it, they, they seem so different. Like I'd have no interest in like hanging out with Travis Kelsey. I mean, it's just, but like I would hang out with Jason Kelsey in a, in a heartbeat, man. 100% would I hang out with him. He seems like he'd be a fun guy. And honestly, he's going to make a lot of money in the off season when he's retired because that podcast is going to be fun and who knows. But I want to do something for you and for the people watching and listening to prove a point. I'm going to bring back an old favorite. Iceman's stat of the week. Been a while since I have given a stat. We teased it a couple weeks ago. But, man, I want to give you a stat here, and then I would like to hypothesize a point. So do you recall the Chargers from 2006-2009? A very talented squad. Yes, sir. Yes. So in that four-year time, I believe Norv Turner was their coach back then, and I think maybe even Marty Schottenheimer for one year. They were 46-18. and 18. Nothing to sneeze at. Four division titles, 21 or 28.1 points per game, 19.6 opponents' points per game. They were three and four in the playoffs. They went to one AFC championship game and four divisional round appearances. The 2020 to 2023 Buffalo Bills in that same time period, 48 and 18, four division titles, 28.6 points a game, giving up 19.1, five and four in the playoffs one AFC championship game, and four divisional run appearances. Josh Allen is the new Phillip Rivers. That is, that's painful. Um, now, I think the history looks back favorably on Phillip Rivers beyond, you know, outside the fact that, you know, he never got to the big game, obviously never won the big game. Very good in the regular season. Um, but the thing is, look at, Freaking Dan Marino, man. Like, everybody loves Dan Marino. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl, and he's regarded as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Um, I mean, I'm sure the stats at the time that he played had a lot to do with that. Um, now every quarterback's stats are off the charts just because of the way the game's played. Yeah, it's hard to compare now. For sure, yeah, it, it absolutely In is. In that way, in like the one-to-one stat. Because, I mean, Troy Aikman has less career touchdown passes than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Nobody's going to say that Fitzpatrick is a better quarterback. True. And, I, don't, I don't think anyway. Well, and then, and back then, man, like they didn't protect the quarterback. No. Like they do now. <laughs> at all. And he's very, at, he is very open about that. Like how many times he got hit with the crown of the helmet just up and concussions. And he's even said like Troy Aikman is very honest about, I'm lucky that I'm able to do announcing. Because he could have lost a lot of faculties from the way he, way he got hit. Oh, I believe it, man. But that's a good comparison, though. Josh Allen to Philip Rivers, or 
Um, and that's probably more appropriate. I was going to say you could even put like Peyton Manning in the in the equation, you know, since we did the Colts, the Colts Pats comparison. But I don't I don't know if the if he's regarded in the same way that Peyton Manning was at the, at the time that he was playing at a high level. Um, but like you said, a lot of people tend to give him a pass a little bit. Oh, they do. Um, the hype is always to, super high in the off season. Yeah, compared to how they they are towards some of these other quarterbacks like Lamar. Who are on the same level, really? Yeah, they are on the same level. And thing is, at the older that Josh Allen gets, and he's young, right? He's still in his prime, but like the older that he gets, younger quarterbacks are going to come into the league. And theoretically, the league is going to be more saturated with younger talent. And it's not going to be a guarantee that they're going to be able to do what they do every year. And this year, he didn't have to deal with Joe Burrow, which could have to in years coming up. And what happens if Jim Harbaugh gets the Chargers rolling? Then all of a sudden, Justin Herbert's got some things going. If Doug Peterson can get the Jags rolling, Trevor Lawrence. Like, there's just a lot of talent in the AFC. And I don't understand why he keeps getting the benefit of the doubt. But we heap all of these, excuse me, we heap all of this negativity on these quarterbacks that don't win, like, one or two games. And it's like, well, they can't get it done. And yet Josh Allen just can't beat Mahomes like it is what it is and Peyton Manning had to carry that around for a long time until as you said finally beat him but even so he didn't beat Brady a lot it didn't happen too too often oh. only a couple of times in the biggest moments and maybe that's Josh Allen's career path look Philip Rivers probably will be a Hall of Famer right he played with a lot of talent but unfortunately never could win the biggest of games when they had to win them and that's sometimes the career arc for a guy and it stinks that it's for Buffalo because when Josh Allen leaves, they may not get another chance at that because only the Packers seem to get franchise quarterbacks one after another after another. Yeah, and Buffalo knows all too well what it looks like after losing a franchise quarterback, uh, you know, decade plus of futility and a revolving door at the quarterback position, uh, you know, post Jim Kelly. And so... um definitely interesting and then you know you referenced Jim Harbaugh and I do think and we can get into it here in a bit if you want to but I think that I have every belief in the world that he's going to get the Chargers rolling yes and so well, let's talk coaching now because I think first things first and to to address the question that we've received for those listening we've received a, a question here in our chat about which conference is more difficult, the AFC or NFC. And I would say that that differs every year because obviously talent kind of rolls. I think this year the AFC was theoretically a lot more talented. There was a lot more talented teams for the most part, but I think a lot of those talented teams petered out towards the end of the year. And the NFC struck me as a little bit more top-heavy. San Francisco, Dallas, maybe Philadelphia for a while, but pretty much after that it was not a lot of teams – that struck you as like they could be one of the best in the league, but in the AFC, Gosh, I feel the opposite. You know, do you really? Yeah, I feel like the AFC is top heavy. Like that, the top of the AFC, AFC is really good, and that the NFC is just is deeper. I mean, um, there were a lot more teams in play, I guess, for the playoffs this year. But so, yeah, you might be right about that. But I guess when I think about like the Ravens, the Bills, the Dolphins, technically were in that for a while. The Chiefs, I guess, yeah, you might be right. I mean, because I guess the oh the, the Browns were obviously good, but I didn't see them as like, right. oh, my God, they can win everything. So, right. But the fact that, uh, like you mentioned, that the fact that there were so many teams in the NFC still in the hunt late could also be an indication of how 
that there weren't enough really good teams. Yeah, you know what I mean? I kind of saw it that way. I, it's probably a matter of, a, of perspective, but just to give all of uh, the degenerate gamblers their news of the day today, Southern Illinois has come back and beaten Murray State 60-58. to 58. So those of you who had money on that game, Bless you. I hope that you were on the right side of the line. Yeah, sounds like they were they were down twenty with fourteen to play or something like that. I saw so that's an impressive comeback. I guess they they took one on the chin from the Braves in similar fashion a couple weeks ago. So that's right. Uh, so I guess they'll get hey, their karma. That's that's right. What goes around comes around, and nobody circles the wagons quite like the Buffalo Bills. But before we move on from the Bills, I want to ask you: Is it time for a coaching change in Buffalo? Oh man, it's tough, right? Oh, it is tough. It is really tough because, you know, McDermott's done something there that nobody, nobody's been able to do Mm -hmm. in a really long time. Yep. And I do think it's hard to move off of him just because of that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at things like the way we were talking last week about, you know, all right, like, obviously he has not shown the ability to get over that hump and to get, uh, to win a championship, to get to a Super Bowl. And what what is that reason? Is it, you know, is it something that he has control over and he can change and fix? And if not, who can? Um, so I, how interesting would it be if Bill Belichick, if they moved off McDermott and Bill Belichick went to the Bills? That'd be hilarious. It won't happen, but uh, I don't think there'll be a coaching change this year, no. I think that, if they if it gets to the point where they they're really all in on Josh Allen, and they feel like, you know, all right, we only got a couple more years of this potential window, we got to shake something up. I think at that point maybe you'd see a coaching change. Yes, next year, or the year after next will be the interesting year. But heading into this year, we had another big coaching domino fall. It was one that we had talked about for a while, and that was Jim Harbaugh taking his picking his ball and going to the NFL, essentially, or taking the national championship and going to going to the NFL. And he's going to be the Chargers head coach. He played for the Chargers for a couple of years, and I believe Sharon Moore was the replacement for him at Michigan. So no drama there. Brian Kelly stayed at LSU for a while. And the it is what it is now. Michigan has their guy. The Chargers have their guy. Uh, Harbaugh, obviously, is coming with a national championship. He's also coming with a lot of baggage from his time at Michigan with all the scandals and things. But if this hire highlights anything, my man, it's that winning pretty much scrubs everything. And that's, you know, I don't have a problem with it. It is what it is. The Chargers want to win. Jim Harbaugh wants to win a Super Bowl. And guess what? It is what it is. You hire the best guy for the job. And I think that they did that. I think so, too. And and we got to remember, he got the 49ers to the Super Bowl not too long ago. He's been successful everywhere he's been. Yeah. He has, and he is sort of, uh, he's sort of just very kind of following the same trajectory in a way of like Pete Carroll, yeah, right, and also kind of like on the heels of a scandal. Pete Carroll was on the heels of a scandal at yep. USC when he when he went to the Seahawks. So, um, I I don't know if any of this, if anything, will eventually come of this. And one thing I know we mentioned it last week, maybe that uh, he had wanted. There was a story that came out that like he had requested when he was in negotiations with Michigan that they would put something in his contract, essentially saying they couldn't fire him for anything. And I guess I was talking to some people and they said, well, they had heard that that was basically his response to Michigan's initial offer, which was they wanted him to sign a contract saying that he wouldn't leave for the NFL 
for X amount of years. And so they're like, okay, well, if I can't leave, then you can't fire me either type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like a tit for tat. And which I found it interesting that they would try to, like, I'd be more worried about him going to another college yeah. uh, and coaching than leaving for the NFL. Like, I wouldn't want to coach against him if he left. That'd be what I would be concerned about. But I agree. maybe they figured that he would never take another college job and that the NFL was the only real threat, I guess. It's an interesting path to take for them, too, because he just won a national title, which is the entire reason why they brought him there. No matter how they did it and whether it gets vacated or not, they want it. Like, I don't care. I don't care if the NCAA vacates Agreed. it. They want it. And for Michigan's perspective, they won the national championship. That was the entire point of the endeavor. The entire reason why you brought him back there was to right the ship and bring glory back to Michigan. And he did that 100%. So if you're negotiating with him in good faith, as you should with a guy who just won you the national championship, and your first offer is, well, we don't want you to leave for a while. To me, that's bad business. I, I, I feel like it would be a slap in the face. Like, a coach should be able to leave whenever they want. At this point, that's the way the paradigm works. And if he wants to take an NFL job, he should be allowed to take an NFL job. It's his damn career. So I'm happy if that's what he said to them. Like, okay, you don't want me to leave for the NFL? Well, you can't fire me then. How's that? And Michigan probably was like, damn, he just checkmated us. Right. Well, it's no different than the players in the transfer portal, man. Yeah, like, I agree. If, if you don't, If you don't want these coaches to leave, pay them enough so they won't. I mean, and that's what that's what's happening with the players. If if you want to keep them, you you better pay up. Yeah, I by the way, how funny is it now that Alabama fans are pretty much going through what every other college football fan base is going through? They're like, whoa, they're taking all of our players, and we're like, hey man, that's been us for the longest time. So I don't want to hear it. Yeah, have a seat at the table with uh with the rest of us. Absolutely, come down from your ivory tower. Um. Yeah, it is kind of funny to see to see that happening a little bit for sure. They're and, not handling uh, it well. No, they're not. Absolutely not. I because I, I think that it, it wasn't that I didn't expect it. I I didn't even consider it. Um, you know, I just wasn't on my radar. But I guarantee you, man, that, that these they never ever thought that, that anything like this was a possibility. I can't blame them. I mean, they've been they've been so consistently good forever. But it's just funny because, like, man, the Vultures started the second that Adam Schefter posted that on social media, the Vultures were swirling about. And I was listening to somebody talk about Iowa and how it's like, man, that's been Iowa forever, right? All of our guys go to one of these other schools. They don't generally stay here. It doesn't happen in reverse. And now you've got Alabama players going back to their home states, which is something that would have never been considered before. So... I, I, I just find it funny. And Michigan, I don't think, is going to be in that in that boat because I think they did the internal hire, so you, you're able to keep a lot of these kids probably more than you would if they did an external hire. But Budge, our boy there, he did a video about whether it was good for the long term to make this hire. Like, this is good in the short term, but is it good in the long term? And it's fascinating to think about that because as a university, you have to think about the short term in a lot of ways because Michigan— and I think Harbaugh also looked at, man, I just won the national chi the national championship. The team's going to be worse next year because they're losing a lot of talent. This is the perfect time to go. Go out on top, and before the team gets bad, and there's any stink on me for the team being bad. Because you know what? I think <laughs> Michigan fans could deal with the stink of a scandal, but not losing. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, back on the Alabama piece, 
it is uh, I don't blame the players and no disrespect to Kalen DeBoer, but like those kids didn't sign to go play for Kalen DeBoer. Mm-mm. They signed to play for Nick Saban. The best of all time. Yes. And there's a big difference between Kalen DeBoer and Nick Saban. And, uh, <laughs> a little bit. So, right. You know, and, and again, that's no, I'm not throwing any shade at Kalen DeBoer. You know, he, we, we said, man, like if you're probably better off to be the guy that follows the guy that replaces the legend than to be the guy that replaces the legend. And, um, you know, and it makes you wonder if the powers that be at Alabama considered this in their process. Now, we already speculate that, that several, that a couple others probably told them no before they got to Kalen DeBoer. But, oh, they definitely uh, did. Because I think that a couple of those guys probably could have kept things intact a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I just, you talk about just two, and I don't know if Kalen DeWar is from, where do you, do we know where he is from? I have no idea. Um, you know, because I'm just like, gosh, like you're taking a guy out of the Pacific Northwest and plopping him in the middle of SEC country, in the capital of SEC country. Oh, man. In Alabama following a legend. It's like, you talk about uh, just a weird fit. And and it's like at the time it was like well okay like this is maybe this the best they could do after, but the more I think about it, it just seems like a strange, a strange, uh, a strange fit. Yes. I guess for lack of a better term. But I don't think, by the way, to bring it back to Harbaugh, like I think he's a good fit for this team in the Chargers because I think Brandon yes. Staley brought kind of like the Kyle Shanahan mentality, but no personality. And I think the personality is what is really going to help the Chargers because I think Justin Herbert needs a guy who's going to be as eccentric as Jim Harbaugh is with all of the winning that comes with it. And it's not going to surprise me if in two years the Chargers are in the AFC Championship game and Justin Herbert has a 5,000-yard season because something was happening with Brandon Staley, who was a defensive-minded guy. And one thing I heard about Harbaugh, and it's true about Dan Campbell as well, is that not only are they good at what they do, but one of the things that they're best at is bringing in guys underneath them who are younger and cultivating those younger coaches. Because if you look at all the coaches under Dan Campbell right now, very, very successful. All the coaches and coordinators under Harbaugh at Michigan, all of them were killing it during their time there, especially this last year. And so Harbaugh is not afraid of bringing in the young guys underneath him that are going to be better at those coordinator jobs to be able to maximize what's going on there. And I think that the Chargers have desperately needed there to be a winning culture there. And you cannot deny that Harbaugh brings that in spades wherever he goes. Because San Diego, Stanford, the 49ers, Michigan, they've all been successful wherever he has been. And I cannot imagine a scenario in which the Chargers do not turn the page and become successful and compete with the Chiefs in that division. I I agree completely. I think that you know, and maybe as soon as next year, they could be right in the hunt, man. Um, the dude is one everywhere, like you mentioned. And I just like him, man. I like how genuine he seems. He seems very genuine. He's to weird, me. but it's like the coaches in the NFL are so boring. Right. Yeah, he's not that. I mean, now he's he is weird, but I think he's just very, that's him, though. He's just being himself. He's not trying to pretend to be anything else i don't think and, and i mean i i really enjoy it i find it refreshing yes i do too and i just i i'm excited for it especially when you're gonna get 
what's the, you know, like some of these interactions, like I can't wait for he and Sean Payton to have handshakes at, at, at midfield after a game because Sean Payton has no time for that crap. And then you're going to get Jim. Remember the, uh, the, the back slap that he did. Uh, I can't remember who the other coach was, but I thought that was, it was the guy that was at Detroit at the time. And I can't, I cannot remember the guy's name, but yeah, like it, it about like came down to blows. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. And that's the kind of thing. Short, shorts. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. And that's the kind of thing I'm hoping for. Like I would be so, so pleased if Sean Payton had a moment like that where he couldn't handle uh, a post game handshake after the Chargers beat them. Like I'm, I'm so here for it. And the opposite of that spectrum, though, is Bill Belichick. And you mentioned him and, and the Bills. So I don't think Bill Belichick is going to get a job this particular year because I think there's only two jobs left, the Seahawks and I can't remember. Right? No, the Seahawks and I can't remember the other one. But Seahawks are not going to hire Bill Belichick. He's probably not even considering them. But the Falcons was probably the only job. Or the, the commanders are the other one. But the, the Falcons, we thought were going to hire him. They go in a different direction. You find out that you find out that he's going to, or the Falcons are going to hire somebody else. They they interviewed 14 people. So Bill Belichick is going to take a forced sabbatical. And I think that it's not surprising to me. I, I know it's probably surprising to a lot of people, but is Bill Belichick the right guy in 2024 based off of what he just came off of with the last couple of years in New England? And I honestly think that the Falcons may have made a good choice here. Yeah, I, I'm sure the guy's got some life left in him uh, as a football coach, but I just we we've talked about it. We talked about it months ago that we're just not sure if like if that plays anymore. Like his his style and uh, just the generation that he's from. I don't know if that connects to today's player, and you know, because once I mean it didn't seem like it's going so well in New England here recently. So no. I think that it would have been the flashy hire, but I don't think that it would have been uh, the best hire. You know, if you're trying to build a team, if you need like a mercenary, like you've got a team that is ready to win right now with a veteran quarterback and something happens and you just need a guy for a year or two to just come in and capitalize on that. Like if Andy Reid, uh, if Andy Reid had, had to step away because of like health issues or something like that. Like that would be the perfect guy to plug in, yes, for a you know a year or two or something like that. But as far as like coming in and trying to build up a a franchise from the ground up, like I that he doesn't seem like a good fit for that situation. No, and he comes with a lot of baggage, I think. And I think the biggest baggage he comes with was wanting GM responsibilities, which I don't think is a good idea. And he's going to bring a lot of his guys with him too, right? He's probably going to want to bring Matt Patricia, and he probably would have wanted to bring Bill O'Brien, and maybe. Bill O'Brien signs with Ohio State because he also needs to find a job for the next year until Bill Belichick comes back. But the intriguing part about Belichick is that every time one of these teams, like the Bills or the Cowboys, who retain their head coach, makes a mistake and loses, they're going to be asking, what's Bill Belichick doing? And I think that's the fascinating. If I'm Bill Belichick, I'm going to every Bills home game. I'm going to every Cowboys home game just to have, number one, something to do, and number two, to feed into those rumors because those teams may be looking at him next year as a, okay, we did it our way. Now we're going to do it your way. That's certainly possible, and those would be franchises that fit that description, right? That are that it seems like the roster is built to win now. 
and you just gotta have whatever find that missing piece um and maybe he's it right and i don't think there's there's really nothing to lose by you know if you were to move on from a mccarthy for a belichick for a few years or uh move on from mcdermott to belichick for you i don't think you risk taking much of a step back um under those circumstances no i don't think so either but i think also people were surprised about belichick and i thought he wasn't interested in every single one of those jobs he has to be particular about the job that he wants to take, too. I mean, the Falcons were a quarterback away, I would say. But, again, I think if he wants roster control, and then now if you look at how many jobs there are left, too, and he's got a lot of stiff competition. I mean, Mike Vrabel is still out there. There's some really great coordinators out there who are being considered for these jobs. And he's not an idiot. He knows if it's not the right fit for him, he's not going to do it because he doesn't want to have what happened in New England happen. But... It's, I'm telling you, like we're going to hear Bill Belichick's name a lot when one of these guys falters or loses in the playoffs. And next offseason, it would not shock me if one of these franchises that is desperate to win big decides that they're going to take a flyer on Bill. And I'm not necessarily sure it's the right move, but I, I just, I'm trying to think of like a scenario in which Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick coexist in the same ecosystem. Because that seems to me like an utter disaster. Maybe, but Belichick's also the type of guy that maybe Jerry Jones has a lot of respect for him and would just leave him alone and let him do his thing. And, uh, you know, Robert Kraft doesn't seem to be the meddling type, but, I mean, Belichick has dealt with uh, what we'll call a high-profile owner. And so, I I don't know. I I think they'd find a way to make it work uh, just because they of their mutual interest in winning a championship. And I think, do, or do you feel like, the top reason we'll see Belichick again is just his own personal desire to shake the stink of the last few years with the Patriots. And to get the Shula record. I think that's really what he's after because I think he's like 14 or 12 wins away or something like that. So he's going to sit out for an entire year, but I think he's going to calculate. And I think that he wants to be back. And yes, I also think that he wants to show Bob Kraft that he wasn't washed because Everybody thinks that's the case. So there's ego sure. involved there, and we'll see what happens. I mean, every year, some franchise, some poor franchise is in need of a head coach. Happens all the time. So Bill will have his choice next year. It's more the journey of how we get there is what I'm looking forward to because the Cowboys are always interesting. You can't deny that about them. What if Andy Reid pulls a Nick Saban and wins, wins the Super Bowl and retires after this year? So that is a rumor I think that's flying around that that could happen, and Belichick is – a guy they've identified because I think before you try to bridge the gap, yeah, bring in a guy who is a winner because I don't think Belichick's going to go in there and neuter Patrick Mahomes. Like I think working with Mahomes would almost be like working with Brady again for him. Yeah. I mean, he is a more athletic version of Tom Brady. Yes. Uh, I mean, just in his, what appears to be his competitive spirit and his ability to just find a way to win, um, find a way to make a play when you need a play. And that's what separates the Brady's, the Mahomes, from the Josh Allen's. Josh Allen, you know, if you if you can snap out just a regular season and stack all these guys' regular seasons up against each other, you see no difference. But when you look at in the biggest moments in the playoffs, that's where that's where the the real difference is between the good ones and the great ones is those guys that can make make a play when you need a play and do it more often than not with consistency and that's that's what Patrick Mahomes is man as much 
much as I'd like to see the Chiefs be knocked off their perch, uh, there's no denying their greatness. I completely agree with you, and that's why we will have to check in on these games and James's pick. But we'd like to know who you'd like, who you think is going to win this weekend and make it to the Super Bowl. And if you're listening now, call or text and give us your takes on this weekend's action. Seven zero three seven one eight six three one four is the number to do that. All right, my man, we're getting close to the end here, but there's two things I want to bring up very, very quickly, rapid fire that I thought are worth discussing for a minute or two. Did you hear about this LSU receiver who apparently placed 8,900 bets during his time that he was, illegal bets during his time that he was at LSU, 8,900? Is that the dude's last name's like Booty Boutte or something like that? or something Boutte. like that, yes. Uh, I saw the name pop up in something affiliated with... Um, this Iowa University of Iowa and Iowa mm-hmm. State wrestlers took a hit over a gambling thing, and that there's did like, they? Yeah, so they. Uh, I, I'll just like briefly as I can. Is that recent? Uh, yeah, this year, um, like over the summer, there was an investigation. Three or four Iowa wrestlers and a few Iowa State wrestlers got in trouble for sports betting, and they were betting on like. Iowa football, like taking the under, you know, like it's funny because one of the wrestlers actually tweeted like, yes, I broke the rules, whatever. All I was, I, I was placing $5 bets on Iowa football because people told me to take the under, <laughs> like, I mean, and which it's against the rules. Um, It's silly kind of, but it's against the rules. But anyways, so they got suspended, like careers over, like, because they got suspended for a year, but most of these guys are seniors. So they're out of eligibility now. Anyways, it's been determined that the manner in which the evidence was obtained was unconstitutional without a warrant. <laughs> uh, and so I don't know that anything's going to happen in time for these guys to get reinstated. Uh, and that would also require the NCAA to, like, backpedal and admit they were they made a mistake. Which I don't know if you can even say they made a mistake because the rules were broken. Yes. But um, I think that you're going to see the state of Iowa... Um, Oh, a pretty penny to some of these guys the time it's all said and done oh that's so but, much fun isn't it but i was like 8900 bets like that's I, a ton dude like that's incredible that's it i mean wow so like this is in his time at college so if he was there for three years 365 days in a year how many bets is that i mean he's that let's say he's at the university for 900 days that's insane like that's I'm getting totally the calculator insane. out like 8,900 bets. I'm not even sure some of the people that we know who gamble all the time have made that many bets in their lifetime. I just, it's fascinating to me. No, no way. Not a chance. So this is, uh, here we go, because my, you know, the new phone here, of course, Absolutely I don't know where me. to yes. quickly, quickly find the calculator. Ooh, yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just saying. Moving like, on. Moving on. 8,900. But you mentioned Iowa, and I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Ohio State women's basketball defeated Caitlin Clark in Iowa the other night and they stormed the court as happens a lot I mean Caitlin Clark in in Iowa are one of the best teams in the country she's definitely one of the most recognizable players in the country and there was a collision now you know for me I've always said that in basketball it's it worries me because there could be moments like this and the footage has been out on the internet for a while and I have to say it's gonna be a little bit of a hot take for me not I wouldn't say scorching hot but certainly more than tepid is that Caitlin Clark wasn't looking when she was running. The guy from Ohio State, probably drunk, wasn't looking where he was going. They collided into each other, and here's the hot part of it. She's working on her flopping for the NCAA tournament because I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. I think that the player, the 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 fans 
were storming the court. I didn't see anything malicious take place. And the only thing that I thought was interesting was the guy looked back at her and I'm like, bro, you don't check on her? Yeah, that that was the most troubling part. It's like, come on, man, like be a decent human yeah. in that moment. But I agree with you. Um, definitely looked like a bit of a flop for sure. And and it's not, you know, it feels like you can't say that, right? Because it's like, oh, you're just, you're, but I mean, come on, just watch the video. Yeah, uh, it's like what we say all the time: multiple things can be true, right? It can be true that this guy wasn't malicious, which he wasn't. He was just a. I'm telling you, like he looked to me like a drunk, excited fan, right? And when if you watch it, she was running with her head down, and as soon as she lifted her head up, the guy was right there. I've how many times have you run accidentally run into somebody at a grocery store? No malicious intent there. It happens. And she went down. I'm sure it was scary because she went down. But a lot of people tried to conflate this to this this massive thing. And, like, the, the incident to me that was worse was earlier this year. Remember when Ole Miss fans stormed the field and, like, the LSU guy, like, punched the guy in the face? I'm like, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, that's the kind of thing that I would be worried about is stupid drunk people going up to larger athletes than them but this seemed to me to be just an honest mistake but like i said she kind of flopped i'm, I'm sorry she kind of flopped I, I agree man i agree watch this will be the thing though this will be it this will be the thing that finally uh invokes change uh, of some kind in the court yeah. storming you're rules probably or... right about that uh, you're pro you're 100 right and again this is not some moral referendum on Caitlin Clark or some personal attack on her as a player. She doesn't flop as oh, a player. We're not saying we've any spoke of highly about her. Absolutely. Here. And she's exciting to watch. And she seems like a good person. She seems like a good personality. But in this particular moment, a lot of other people on her behalf made a bigger deal out of oh, it than that's it actually the worst. was. That's, that's the worst. We are experts at that in this country, being behave being offended on someone's behalf. Um Definitely. And my dad and I were talking a little bit about this the other day uh, as far as what, you know, this will be what finally causes there to be some sort of rule put in place. And it's like, OK, well, what do you do? Um, do you find the school like significantly if there is a field storming, court storming? Um, you know, you can't impact the game because the game is over. So it has no bearing on the outcome of the game. Um, I, I think it's a misappropriation of resources if you decide you're going to arrest every person that storms the field or, or cite them with a ticket yeah, uh you know that's just not realistic so i'd be and, and even staffing wise i mean it's it's probably not super cost effective to staff enough people to prevent fans from storming the field or court and then two i mean you're putting those people kind of in harm's way a bit if you're basically asking them to be a human shield <laughs> yeah. against rabid fans. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of it, but wouldn't shock me if this is what, uh, this is what sparks it. It wouldn't. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. Like I, I understand again, you know, I've been one of those people who have said that storming the court, storming the field can get lame after a while and that there are some safety issues that could come along with it, but this was not one of them. And if it's the the one that should have incited change is the one, like I said, where an LSU player like punched a fan in the face like that. That should be the one you'd like to avoid those kind of things. But in this particular case, all we're saying is, bro, check on the girl that you just nailed. OK, like check on her when she's fallen over to be like, hey, are you OK? 
That's all. Right? He ran sure. into her, offered her a hand. He looked back at her and just kept running. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, your mom raised you a lot better than that, I hope. Ohio State yeah. fan, you never know. Yeah, be a gentleman. Yeah, that is a lot to ask of an Ohio State fan. I agree. I totally, totally agree with you. And you know what's going to happen, though? This little conversation is going to what's get it's going to get us canceled and or viral in some form or fashion. So here for it. I agree. So it is Saturday and Brad has a Bradley basketball game to get to in a little bit. So the Braves will be taking on the old Sycamores for a battle of supremacy in what is a sold out arena with a lot of free tickets. So Bradley fans couldn't make it to the game. Bush League, in my opinion, those sons of bitches. But we have hey, NFL. about that about that. Go I ahead. Go you. ahead. So there was uh, on on X. Uh, there was some back and forth. You know, Bradley fans had seen these posts that were coming up uh, throughout the week about, hey, there's this, you know, we're giving away 2,000 tickets at Culver's. You know, come down and grab them, whatever. Like, you know, they had planned, like, you know, on, on Thursday is the ticket giveaway. And so a, a Bradley fan had shared it. It was like, hey, let's make the trip and go grab these tickets. And, like, in the most serious fashion ever, like, someone uh, shared it some. Indiana State person shared it with another Indiana State person. They're like, I'm going to be there checking IDs. Like, if anyone shows up with an ID from the Peoria area, do not give them to. I mean, they were so serious about it. It was just hysterical. I'm like, you just love it, man. I mean, it's fun when, um, you know, the game sold out. It's on ESPNU, so it'll be on national television for anyone who's interested. Uh, Five o'clock centrals. I guess that's six your time, Eastern time. So, um, if you got nothing else going on, check it out. It should be an interesting and fun atmosphere. Yeah, man. I hope that the Braves can pull it out or at least show the nation that they can stay with one of the top 25 teams in the country, but you never know. So next week, hopefully we'll be back on Friday, but we gave you a Iceman and Coach episode. If you want to find us on social media, just check INC Sports or Iceman and Coach, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook, podcasts, you name it. We're out there. We are whoring ourselves to the world for those likes, clicks, listens, whatever it is. So please support the brand. Please support me and Brad. And you know what, fam? We'll see you next week. This is Iceman and Coach. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty S Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.